0: I was a lot younger then, but we used to deliver newspapers. And one day, we got a call that apparently we had missed a house. Now, just as a side note, I'll let you know that we didn't miss any house at all. That's not something we did. But when you get these calls, what you're supposed to do is to get another newspaper, get in your car, and go re-deliver it. So that's what I did. And as I pulled up to the address, I noticed that there was a man and a woman... Uh, talking with each other outside, and I thought, great, this is going to be easy. Assume they were husband and wife, and I get off, and I'm making my way up the driveway. And as I'm getting up closer and closer, it becomes very apparent to me that these two people aren't just having a nice afternoon conversation. In fact, they're having a full-fledged argument, they're going at it. It's all in Spanish. and back at that point, my Spanish wasn't all that great, so I didn't quite know what they were fighting about. That way have may add a little bit to the story, maybe. But you know how it doesn't matter if you know what people are fighting about. You know when two people are going at it. Well, here I am, little kid, walking up the driveway, and notice that these two people are having one of those kind of arguments. And what I really want to do is just... Work my way back. When I was just about to do that, something happened, though. Our eyes met. The gentleman and mine, our eyes met. And is at that point, like, you can't really turn back. You can't really say, like, pretend. I'm a lot of things, but, like, hard to hide is not one of them. <laughs> Y'all with me? So I can't just pretend I wasn't there. So I kept going a little bit. And she didn't see me, so they're still going at it. And I'm thinking, how? what is the most appropriate way to re-deliver a newspaper? Do I really need to tell them that I didn't really miss their slot? Somebody came and stole their news? Is this the right time and the right place to do that? How in the world am I going to do this right? So you know me. I'm so witty, and I'm so on top of things. I'm so good about these kind of situations. I pulled up to them, and I said, good news. Here's your newspaper. And I ran away. (laughs) You ever had one of those situations where you think, I wish I could redo that. You know, I wish I could say something else. I wish I had time to practice something else a little better. Well, that was one of those moments for me. For whatever reason, I've been thinking, about, thought about that this week. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but our world sure is arguing quite a bit. I mean, arguing. And we don't know everything they're arguing about, but we can tell when people are arguing, right? And there is some great fighting going on in our world. And in our nation as well. Boy, we are just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in our state where we haven't had each other. Just Our communities are fighting, our churches are fighting. Some of us know all too well our families are fighting and even within ourselves, we're fighting, fighting, We're arguing back and forth, back. And And we just think, man, if there was something that could relieve that, something that could show us a better way, if there was something uh, about what we know, something about what we've learned that could, I don't know, not take the situation away, but show us something, if there was something that could show us, that there is hope. If there was something that could remind us that there is something worth fighting for, that's good. If the, if there was some message that could help that couple, you know what, fight through another week together with the hope that something good will come. If there's, if there's some kind of word that we could have that could help a community come together and do the good they want to do. If there was something that we've heard, something that's been passed on to us that could Help that young person know just how loved they are. There was something, some kind of message that could show us a better way. The Pharisees had been trying already for a little while to get Jesus, to trip him up. At one point, they sent some of their own disciples to go and ask him a question, to go try to maybe build a case against him so they can do the things that they want to do and take care of him the way they want to. Of course, those disciples of theirs went and they asked Jesus a question or two, and, well, they didn't do so well in that setting because Jesus kind of set them in their place and showed them uh, how faulty their thinking was. Pharisees heard about another religious group, the Sadducees, who tried to do the same thing. These religious leaders approached Jesus and had their own questions for him. The thing about the Sadducees, you've got to remember, is that these are the folks who didn't believe in a physical, literal resurrection. And I don't know if you understand this, but that becomes a big part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus likes the whole resurrection stuff. And so he has a dialogue with them, kind of puts them in their place. And now the Pharisees, they hear about that, and they think to themselves, you know what, you want something done, you've got to do it yourself. And so they go to Jesus. They get together as a group, and Matthew tells us that one of them stands up and speaks, presumably for the entire group. Now, Matthew tells us something about this individual, and Matthew doesn't just throw out trivia bits or things to take up space on the page. He tells us that this man, this Pharisee, is a lawyer. Now, I think that's important for us to realize because if there's any group of people that are going to have a great understanding of the Word of God, be able to... Uh, Interpret and tell you what scripture means, it's going to be the Pharisees. And if there's anybody within the Pharisees that's going to be able to argue the validity of their arguments and so on and so forth, it's going to be a lawyer among them. So here a lawyer stands up and he asks Jesus a question. Now I don't know how you live your life, but I try my very best to give people the benefit of the doubt. I think that's something we should all do give each other the benefit of the doubt. So if I'm listening to this lawyer, I'm thinking maybe he was going somewhere with his questioning. Maybe he was trying to move to a particular point. Maybe he had two, three, four, maybe even five questions in a row that he was going to ask. Maybe. And and I kind of want to think that because the question that comes out of his mouth, quite frankly, is pretty lame. You have a chance to talk to Jesus, the one that you're really upset with, and you ask him, Hey, Jesus, which command is the greatest? Now, you and I may not realize how silly that is, but I think Jesus did. I kind of wonder if even the other Pharisees thought, oh, You dummy! Because Jesus gives the obvious answer. It may not be obvious to us. But to Jesus, the people around him, certainly those Pharisees, there's only one obvious question now maybe they thought that he would come out with left field i don't know what he was expecting jesus to answer traditionally we've said that there are about 613 laws of god that the pharisees had in line that they felt like they and everybody else had to follow of course there's even arguing about that whether that's the actual number or not but traditionally 613 laws For Jesus to choose from. And the the lawyer says, which one is the greatest? And I don't know if he was expecting Jesus to say, "Uh, you know, the one about taking care of the donkeys. That's the greatest one. (laughs) Or maybe he thought Jesus was going to say, hopefully he was going to say, you know, the one about um, uh, stoning other people. That's the most important one. That's not what Jesus says. I don't know what the lawyer was hoping or expecting Jesus would say, but Jesus said what you would expect him to say. You see, because Jesus, his disciples, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all those people, they knew what the greatest commandment was. It was a command that they would recite at least three times a day. Command from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It's a prayer. We call it Shema. It's from the Hebrew word, which means to hear, which is Shema. It's the first word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And guess what you should do? You should love the Lord your God. It's almost like Jesus is saying, duh. Everybody knows the most important law is. We recite it every day. We teach it to our children. It's kind of like how we teach our children the Lord's Prayer. When we get together, some of us can just rattle off Psalm 23. We learn these things. We recite them when we can. It's the way it was for Jesus and those other people. That was the easiest question to ask. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength. I think we've talked before about The difference between this idea of love that Jesus talks about, biblical love, the difference between that and the difference between an idea of love that many of us are familiar with. For Jesus, for Scripture, this idea of love is is about a commitment. It's about a willingness to serve. It's about a willingness to do something with love. Now, you you put that against some of our ideas. You think about, uh, you know, our hallmark sense of love or Valentine's sense of love or our love song sense of love. And for so many of us, love is about a feeling. Right. We've heard this before. I'm not giving you anything new. And we all know the dangers of feelings. What is so dangerous about feelings? They change, don't they? We can be in love with something or someone one day, and our feelings change, and so does our love. Now, I'm sure some of you thank God for that, because without that reality, we'd never have country music. But that sense of love is built on how we feel. Now, we don't totally negate feelings. Feelings are important. But compare that idea to the idea Jesus had about love, the idea of sense of biblical love. It's not centered around feelings. It's centered around a commitment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. You're committed to living your life that way. Devoted to God. Committed to God. Almost. Almost. Well, at least more than half the time get a young couple that wants to get married and they'll come to the office and and we talk about what the wedding will look like and so on and so forth. And more than half of the couples, you know, the one question they ask me, at least, can we write our own wedding vows? I say it like that because it's, it's never the guy. The guy just says, yes, dear. And what I have to do is, gently as I can, tell them, No, you cannot write your own wedding vows. And I'll tell you why. I've seen, I've heard many couples who do this. And you know, I bet you can guess what those kind of wedding vows are built on. Feelings. I love you. You are so dear to me. You make the sunshine glow. We say weird things when we're all giddy in love like that, don't we? You too, guys. Yeah, I know. But I have to say no. Now, you can say those things if you want at the reception. You can say those kind of things to each other. That's fine. But you've brought me in because I need to remind you of some other vows. See, the vows that I've been given to give to you have nothing to do with feelings. They have to do with, take a guess, commitment. Something about for richer or for poorer. Something about sickness and health. And What's all involved in that? Commitment. Your feelings change as you go from poor to rich. Your feelings change as you go from healthy to not being healthy. And if our love for each other is based on how we feel, we might be in trouble. And what Jesus is reminding us is that Our love for God is not based on feelings. It's based on a commitment to God. It's a commitment to live out this life. But Jesus didn't stop there, did he? That's an easy answer. That's all you got? Big boy, they paid you all the money for that question? I got another one for you. Yeah, the greatest one, you know that one. Here's another one. It's just as great. Just as important. Same level. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the next one is just like it. You should love your neighbor as... Oh, you've heard it before, right? It's just as important. And it's what Christ gives us as the greatest. Now, I don't know if... The Pharisees, the lawyer was expecting to hear that. But what Jesus is reminding us, I think, is that if you say you are going to love God, if you say you're going to be committed to God, then that love is going to automatically pour out into every other relationship that you have. Whether it's the neighbor that's sitting next to you in church, sitting in front of you or behind you. Whether it's the neighbor that's sitting across from you. Whether it's the neighbor that cuts you off in traffic. Whether it's the neighbor that you say, I love you too, honey, every time you go to bed at night. Whether the neighbor is your children. Whether the neighbor is your boss. Whether the neighbor even has to be one of those, uh, what do they call them? Enemies. Jesus said, if you're going to dare to say that you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then almost by default, you're going to have to love your neighbors. Everybody say, oh, man. Because you know how some of your neighbors are, right? By the way, you're one of those neighbors, too. Just, Just reminding you. But your love for God is going to pour out and to every relationship you have. N- then Jesus didn't even stop there. He says something else that's kind of crazy. You know, with all your 613 laws that you try to follow to the T, that you try to impose on everybody else, that you try to trip them up with, here's the deal. If you don't understand those two things, then you don't understand anything in here. It's almost like Jesus is saying every word on every page from the index to the maps is based on love of God and love of others. And no matter how much Bible study you do, no matter how many devotionals you do in the morning or in the evening, no matter how many times you get with other people and talk about the Bible, if you don't understand that, you just missed it all. Everything about this and everything about our life together hangs on the idea that we love God all that we have, and that we love each other the same way. Some of you may think, well, I've heard preachers say that before. Why do I got to say it again? Take a guess. Because Jesus says that's the greatest thing you need to know and that everything else you can know means nothing if you don't get that i don't know about you but sometimes i tend to forget things love of god and love of each other See, friends i don't know if you realize this or not some of you shook your head some of you could probably picture things that you knew of but our world is hurting our world is at odds with each other we're arguing from all levels If we're going to try to make any sense of any of this, we have, we have to ask the question, God, what do we do? Well, is there anything that can make this better? Is there anything that can make this worthwhile? Is there anything that can be done on our part? And I think part of what we hear and see today is Jesus telling us what that one thing is. Can you take a guess? Is it um, go learn more Bible stuff? Is it um, sign up for trunk or treat? Is it um, get all dressed and pretty for church? You know what it really is? You can say it. We're in good company. think maybe we're scared to say it because we know if we say it that means we're admitting that we know what it is and when we don't live by that <laughs> if Jesus says that all of scripture is based on that idea then I think we can also make the conclusion that everything we do as a church hangs on that idea as well and if we don't get it we might just be spinning our wheels so I need you to think about The issues that weigh on your heart, whether they be things that you see on TV that you just feel so badly for, feel so helpless about, whether they be issues that you're directly involved with, things that you're trying to do, whether they be your own arguments, whether they be something that you're dealing with personally. How can the love of God bring change? See, now I thought it was kind of corny what I did. The only thing I could think of was to throw that paper at them, and tell them, good news, your, your newspaper is here. And I ran off, and I <sighs> wish I had something better to say. I wish I would have taken that. I wish I would have done it differently. And even today, I probably still would have done something different. But I do remember as I walked away, those two people, you know what they started doing? They started laughing at me. started laughing at me. It's it's just a moment or two before, it sounded like they were ready to strangle each other. And now they're laughing together. Seems like if you and I can remember that we are called to give the good news that love, God's love, is what we are to live by, we might be able to change some things as well. Amen. Yeah, amen.